This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Thank you. 
Thank you, ladies. That was amazing. I know you brought your Bibles and you will want to open them um, again to the book of Judges. This is lesson number seven in our series, Right in Your Eye. And Lord willing, next week we will wrap up our series. And I had given you the assignment to read the book of Ruth uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we will, Lord willing, be there. And the reason we're going to be bringing in the book of Ruth is because Ruth will actually took place during the period of time of the judges. And so if you want to uh, review that, you, uh, that would probably be very beneficial to you. Since we have a ton to cover today, I, I'm going to skip any review. If you've been here regularly, you know that the predominant theme in the book of Judges is everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And if you've missed all or, uh, or, or at least part of the movie or, or the series, you can go to our website, eldochurch.com, and follow the links and listen to these and other podcasts. Now, to get us pointed in the right direction today, I want to give three introductory observations that appear to be trends in our country. The first trend is it seems that our country has gone from authority to relativism. Now, what I mean by this is that we now tend to largely operate by popular opinion rather than principles. And I've been absolutely amazed at how quickly people are swayed by a social media frenzy. It's kind of like when you're feeding fish and and you throw a bunch of fish food out there, there's a frenzy. And, and that's kind of what has taken place. There's a, a social media frenzy and, and we get on the bandwagon for things such as tolerance or correctness or, or the hashtag Me Too movement or whatever. And, and I know there probably needed to be some adjustments and maybe even some whistleblowing in some of those areas. But our country is very much influenced by public opinion. And really, when I, when I think about being swayed by public opinion and, and polls, can you imagine Moses taking a public opinion poll in Egypt and saying, okay, vote yes or no on Proposition A, which deals with should we or should we not take our two million Israelites and leave Egypt? Or, or can you imagine Martin Luther taking a poll at the doors of the Wittenberg Church before he posts his 95 Theses? Or can you imagine the Apostle Paul taking a poll before heading out to Ephesus or Corinth and asking, okay, should I plant a new church there? Vote yes or no. Or, or can you imagine Jesus saying, okay, vote yes or no on whether or not I should die on the cross. You know, if you look at great and godly men and women in the Bible, they were led by principles and didn't care about popular opinion. Number two, not only have we gone from authority to relativism, but we've also gone from truth to pragmatism. And, and let me explain that as well. We're, we're getting away from asking, well, is it true? And we're focusing more on, well, what's in it for me? You know, to bring this really close to home, I, I see this all the time when people come here looking for a church home. And more often than not, when, when people ask me about this church, they don't ask, okay, what do you believe? I mean, tell me your theology about Jesus Christ. Uh, give me your theology about sin and salvation and eternity. What do you teach about those things? No, I, I rarely get that. Rather, most of the questions I get are, okay, what do you have to offer my kids? What can you do for my teens? 
Or, or my wife and I are looking for a church that has people my age and plenty of activities for the entire family. And, and those things are important in a church. I'm not saying they aren't, but don't forget about truth. D- don't forget whether it's this church or any other church you go to, make sure that you know what they're teaching is grounded in God's word. And will you agree with everything in the church? Probably not. I don't agree with every single thing in this church and you won't either. But when it comes to truth, when it comes to doctrine, make sure that it points you to Jesus Christ. Thirdly, we've gone from revelation to feeling. You know, in many instances, psychology has replaced theology. And then there's a place for psychology. But but it appears that feeling good about ourselves seems to be more important than doing what is right. And, and I don't know how many times I've heard this, and, and people mean it as a compliment, but but to me it's not really a compliment. But people will say, well, you know what, there's just something about coming to this church. You know, it just starts off my week on the right foot, and I just feel better. Well, I'm glad you do, but whoop de doo <laughs> Coming to church is more than just about feeling good. Sometimes the church will make you feel good. Sometimes the church will make you feel bad. Especially when... (laughs) Thank you, Dick. Especially when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you and you have sin in your life, you'll probably leave church not feeling very good about yourself. And I'll be honest, our goal every Sunday morning is not to make people feel good. In fact, God's goal is not to just make you feel good and make you happy. Rather, God wants to make you holy. But today we want the feeling. Feeling seems to be more important than revelation. Now these trends will be blended into our lesson shortly, but let's go ahead and pick up our scripture reading in Judges chapter 8, verse, uh, let's start with verse 22. And two or three weeks ago, we studied a man by the name of Gideon and and Gideon had an encounter, <clears throat> remember, with an angel while he was threshing wheat in the wine press. And as a result of that surprise encounter with the angel, he got his heart right with God. Well, after Gideon's victory that involved pitchers and lamps and a shout, the people of Israel came to Gideon and said, we want you to rule over us. And, and Gideon, we know you're a farmer, but you're the man. And we've seen how God can use you. And we would like for you to become our ruler. In fact, We would like for your family to become the first family, the ruling family. And and we want you to rule over us. And then when you die, we want your son to rule over us. And when he dies, then we want your grandson to rule over us. But look at Gideon's response in Judges 8.22. The Israelites said to Gideon, rule over us, you, your son, your grandson, because you've saved us out of the hand of Midian. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And that right there is what allowed Gideon to help guide the people. And the result was 40 years of peace. And no, he didn't do everything right. He had his flaws. He had his foibles. But he understood that God was to be the leader. And so he said, thanks, but no thanks. God has appointed me as judge. I'll try to fulfill my duties of keeping the law of God in front of the people. But God needs to rule over us. And as long as Gideon was alive, the Bible says they had 40 years of peace in the land. But the sad day came when Gideon died and his death created an immediate spiritual leadership vacuum. And and it wasn't long until the people turned back to idol worship. 
Well, about this time, one of Gideon's sons began to make his move to fill dad's shoes. And now, now, Gideon had been quite a man in his day. The Bible said he had 70 sons. I'm pretty impressed with that. Obviously not by one woman. But in those days, they had multiple wives and concubines. And of course, this system wasn't God's will, but Israel had copied this from other cultures. But anyway, the question became, okay, there are 70 of us sons. Who is going to fill dad's shoes? Well, one of the sons named Abimelech began to play some politics. He would have fit perfectly into the political climate of today. Abimelech began to try to build a coalition for himself. And, and he first of all went to his um, uncles who lived in Shechem. And he said, you know, there are 70 of us brothers. And, and by the way, Shechem was where Abimelech had been raised. And, and that was his hometown. Not all of his brothers were from Shechem because they were from uh, 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 other women. But anyway, Abimelech went to his hometown and, and said to his uncles, you know, why don't you take a poll and ask the people the following questions since my daddy died he's no longer helping guide our country he didn't appoint a successor to him ask the people if they think it would be best for all 70 of us sons to rule over the people kind of have a committee of 70 and in so doing probably have all kinds of conflict and chaos or would it be better to unify around us such as me because i'm your hometown boy Let's read it in Judges chapter 9, verse 1. Abimelech, son of Jeroboam, went to his mother's brothers in Shechem and said to them and to all his mother's clans, clan, ask all the citizens of Shechem, which is better for you to have all 70 of Jeroboam's sons rule over you or just one man? Remember, I'm your flesh and blood. You see the politics there? I'm one of you. I was raised here. Well, the uncles took a poll and listened to the response from the citizens of Shechem. Verse 3. When the brothers repeated all this to the citizens of Shechem, they were inclined to follow Abimelech. For they said, he's our brother. He's one of us. Of course, it'd be better to have just one rule over us. It'd be chaos to have a committee of 70 ruling over us. And come to think of it, it'd be nice to have a hometown boy in charge. And so they said, Abimelech, we know you. You're, You're a good boy. We'd like for you to rule over us. Well, look what else Abimelech did. They were inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, he's our brother. They gave him 70 shekels of silver from the temple of Baal-bareth. And Abimelech used it to hire, listen to this, reckless adventurers. Scoundrels, maybe. Who became his followers. So not only did he appeal to his family, to his buddies, but he was desperate enough that he began to try to buy the support of whom the Bible calls reckless adventurers. And the way that he funds these acts of bribery is that he takes money from one of the pagan temples and pays these rebel rousers to follow him. You know, when you think of the implications of this, it's a slap in the face of his dad, a slap in the face of God. Because remember how Gideon, after having an encounter with God, destroyed his family's idols to Baal. And again, he wasn't perfect. But now, Abimelech is taking money from a pagan temple of Baal and using that money to buy people's support. Well, there's one more thing that Abimelech did. He took out the competition. Who was the competition? His brothers. 
Abimelech was obviously insecure and figured that his brothers would be looking for opportunities to knock him off and take the throne. And by the way, insecurity causes people to do a lot of bad things. If you ever see anyone struggle when someone else gets more attention than they do and they can't say something good about them without bringing up some bad things, generally the root of that is insecurity. People more often than not talk someone down in order to lift themselves up. So what did Abimelech do to the competition? Verse 5, he went to his father's home and Oprah and on one stone murdered his 70 brothers. The sons of Jeroboam, but Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, escaped by hiding. Now, now, now try to picture, and I guess t- not too too closely, but picture this gruesome mass murder. Seventy brothers wiped out on one stone. Where? At his father's home. Can you imagine living in that home after that slaughter? Scripture says one lone brother named Jotham managed to escape, and we'll talk more about him in a moment. But all of Gideon's other sons were killed by this brother that was so consumed to be ruler over the people. Well, after all the competition was wiped out, it was time for Abimelech to officially be crowned king. Verse 6, then all the citizens of Shechem Shechem and Beth Milo gathered beside the great tree at the pillar of Shechem to crown Abimelech king. Now, let me give you a little bit of history about what took place beside this great tree. This was the very spot where God had spoken to Abraham years ago and had given him the covenant. So so this place was special. It was a sacred place and in some ways kind of like holy ground to the Israelites. And so Abimelech in in a show with a show of religion trying to associate him with a a, uh, an historical event around a very sacred place. He had himself inaugurated as king. Now, before we continue with our lesson, let me quickly reinforce a lesson that the leadership of one person can make a huge, huge difference. Uh, As long as Gideon was alive, the people served the Lord. But once his son became leader, they went into paganism. Here's the application Your leadership makes a difference. Your leadership with your children could largely determine whether or not your children serve the Lord. Back years ago when we were going to Promise Keepers, what, 20 years ago, guys, whatever it was, John Maxwell preached a sermon. Gene, you remember that? The three-chair sermon. And it was built on the premise that, you know, wherever we are, Let's say that we're in chair number one. More than likely, our family that comes behind us, and there are exceptions, they probably won't be in chair number one, but they'll be in chair number two spiritually. So so generally, there's something that happens between mom and dad and our children. There's a cooling off. But John brought out, and, and, and there are scriptural examples here, that, you know, if we're in chair number two, More than likely, our children are going to be in spiritual chair number three. And of course, the same holds true with chair number three. Then many times our children are in paganism. Now, remember I mentioned that one lone brother named Jotham managed to escape from Abimelech when he was killing all the brothers. Well, 
When Jotham heard that his brother Abimelech was going to be crowned king, he basically picketed the coronation ceremony. And here's what he did. It's really interesting. He climbed up on top of Mount Gerizim. Now, Mount Gerizim and and Mount Ebal are, are two mountains that face each other, and they form a natural amphitheater. So someone can shout from the top of those mountains and be heard a long distance. Let me just kind of show you where this was. It's really, really tough to see it. But here you've got the Sea of Galilee, the Dead Sea, the Jordan River there. And here is Mount Gerizim and there is Mount Ebal. And there's a valley in between there. And it's kind of like a natural amphitheater. Well, while Jotham was on top of Mount Gerizim, Gerizim, he shouted the following parable. And let me read it. It's kind of confusing, but we'll talk about it in a moment. Judges chapter 9, verse 7. When Jotham was told about this, he climbed up on top of Mount Gerizim, shouted to them, listen to me, citizens of Shechem, so that God may listen to you. And here's the parable. One day the trees went out to anoint a king for themselves. They said to the olive tree, be our king. But the olive tree answered, should I give up my oil by which both gods and men are honored to hold sway over the trees? Next, the tree said to the fig tree, come be our king. But the fig tree replied, should I give up my fruit so good and sweet to hold sway over the trees? Then the tree said to the vine, come and be our king. But the vine answered, should I give up my vine, which cheers both gods and men to hold sway over the trees? Finally, all the trees said to the thorn bush, come and be our king. And the thorn bush said to the trees, if you really want to anoint me king over you, come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, then let fire come out of the thorn bush and consume the cedars of Lebanon. Now, let me try to explain this parable. In this parable, the trees needed a king. So so they first of all went to the olive tree and said, please be our king. But the olive tree said, uh, thanks, but no thanks. I'm too busy making a name for myself. I mean, both gods and men are after my olive oil. I'm sorry, but it'd be a step down really to be your king. I, I'm, I'm busy making my fortune. Well, well Jotham kept shouting out. And, and, and so the trees went to the fig tree and, and they said, Mr. Fig tree, please be our king. The fig tree said, no, I can't give up my business to be your king. I mean, things are going too well. My, my fruit is so good and so sweet. And I'm sorry, but I'm not going to give up my business to serve you. Well, they went to the vine and please be our king. And the vine said, no, no, no. I'm in the wine business. There's too much profit for me to give that up. Finally, the trees went to the worthless thorn bush and said, come be our king. And that good for nothing thorn bush said, oh, I would be honored to be your king. Now, let me give the application here. You know, a thorn bush produces nothing. It it produces no fruit. A cactus, at least, it produces cactus fruit. And that's good. I've had it many times. A thorn bush has no fruit. It, It produces no lumber. A thorn bush just clings and rips and tears and chokes things out. And, and the application is this, because it's for us today. I think of many top quality, good citizens, people with great ability and talents that could and should get involved in spiritual leadership and in serving people, but they're like the olive tree or the fig tree or the vine. They're too busy. They're, they're too busy making a fortune or making a name for themselves, making money and They're more interested in building their portfolio rather than building the kingdom of God. 
And, and if something doesn't profit them financially, they're out. You know, serving in a ministry is not a priority because it doesn't make them any money. And, and when the call comes to help serve and, and the call comes to volunteer and make a difference in the lives of people of this church and other churches, many people will say, oh, you know, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just so busy with work. They've got me working crazy hours and I just don't have time to take on a ministry. Well, the New Testament speaks to this. It's to the point. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, it says, God has given gifts to each of you from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Manage them well so that God's generosity can flow through you. And this implies with the word generosity that it may not financially be beneficial for you but you're being generous with what God has given you. And it goes on and says, are you called to be a speaker? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Are you called to help others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then God will be given glory in everything through Jesus Christ. You know, I think of the needs of this church. And I think of the music ministry and the feeding the kids ministry and ministry to young people. And I think of our life group ministry. In fact, but by the way, time out. Would you like to know the names of people who have said no to leading a small group in the last five years? Let, let me read you their names, okay? People in this church. I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that. I scared you, didn't I? <laughs> Thank God for the faithful ones that continually say yes, and we have a bunch of them. Thank God for you. But I sometimes would like to lay hands on those people in the name of Jesus, that is, <laughs> that don't seem to care or want to serve others. You know, they're too interested in their own stuff, whether it's their business, their hobbies, their play, or whatever. Can I just... You, you love me, don't you? You have to to make it to heaven. But if, if your business is taking so much time to where you can't serve, then you're probably too busy and you better make some changes. I, I just pray that God would give us all a glimpse of how fulfilling life can be when we make time to serve others. And you've heard the words of Edmund Burke. He said that all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Now, very quickly, let's find out how the story of Abimelech ends. Not long after his coronation, his own people began to rise up against him. Listen to what the word says. Judges chapter 9, verse 22. After Abimelech had governed Israel three years. That's it, three years. His dad was 40 years God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the citizens of Shechem who acted treacherously against Abimelech. So the very people who said, we want you to rule over us because you're a hometown boy, they began to rise up against him. And, but each time Abimelech saw there was a revolt against him, he would take his army and crush it. And for a little while, it appeared that Abimelech would be able to stamp out the opposition. For one day, he defeated a, uh, for example, one day he defeated a city. He was so angry, he destroyed the entire city and he sprinkled salt all over the city. Another day, people heard Abimelech was coming to town. And so about a thousand men and, and women fled to a tower in the temple compound, which should have been a sanctuary. You know, we hear about sanctuary cities and, and this tower in the temple compound should have been a sanctuary of safety. But Abimelech cut off some branches from a tree, had all his soldiers do the same. They marched up to the tower, put the branches up against the wooden tower, lit the branches, burned the tower down. And the Bible says a thousand men and women died there. But, but something that's really interesting, regardless of how dominant 
a leader, a wicked leader, is whether it's Joseph Stalin, Adolf Hitler, Napoleon, Abimelech, a movement will eventually arise that will take down that seemingly invincible dictator. It may not always happen in their lifetime, but their movement will eventually die. And Abimelech learned that firsthand. Here's what happened. One day he marched on another city. And when the people learned he was coming, they panicked. They fled again to the city's strong tower. So Abimelech said, I can take care of that. He headed to the tower to set it on fire as he had done previously. But as we've already seen in the book of Judges, God works in unlikely ways. Last week, it was a woman named Deborah. She was used by God to defeat King Jabin and Sisera. Here, God used another woman. As Abimelech gets close to the tower, he's ready to torch it, put down another uprising. Well, a woman on top of the tower does something totally unexpected. Let me read it so you don't think I'm making this up. Judges chapter 9, verse 52. Abimelech went to the tower and stormed it. But as he approached the entrance to the tower to set it on fire, a woman dropped an upper millstone on his head and cracked his skull. Now, I don't know how she got the millstone up that tower. She or at least someone else did. In fact, here's here's a picture of kind of a typical millstone and and uh, upper millstone, what this, this would be the lower millstone, this would be the upper millstone. And so it would be a rock uh, similar to that size. So she drops that. Abimelech has a cracked skull. He's still alive. Verse 54, hurriedly he called to his armor bearer, draw your sword, kill me, so that they can't say a woman killed him. Wouldn't that be terrible? I was killed by a woman, so you killed me. You kill me. So his servant ran him through with his sword and spear, and he died. When the Israelites, Israelites saw that Bimelech was dead, they went home. So ends three years of the stormy rule of Abimelech. Now, before we go home, let me just try to briefly summarize what I've tried to say over the last 30 minutes and they always taught me in preaching class if you have to summarize things you didn't do your job very well but let me just kind of bring it to a close here again I want to just say your spiritual leadership and ministry matters it matters in the home your family will generally follow you and especially dads and also moms If your kids see you pray and read the Bible and you take them to church regularly, not just when it's convenient or on occasion, but you make it a priority, your family will more than likely follow with your spiritual patterns and disciplines. But if you don't, you know what, your kids, again, three chairs. If you're in chair number two, kind of lukewarm, just count on your kids being in chair number three, not lukewarm, but cold spiritually. Your spiritual leadership also matters in the community. You can make a difference at work. You know, you can make a difference in our civic organizations. You can make a difference in in your business. You can make a difference as you coach ball teams. Your spiritual leadership also matters in this church. I would love to see a generation of young people that would say, Lord, here, I, here am I. 
Yes, I am so busy. I struggle trying to get all the activities in that my kids have. And I don't know how I can fit anything else into my schedule. But Lord willing, I will adjust my schedule so it reflects your priorities, not mine. And, and, and I will say this. God has designed life so that we should have plenty of time for work, family, play, spiritual activities. And if we don't, then probably one or more of our priorities are not lined up with God's priorities. That's for you younger people. But senior adults, I want to challenge you. I'd like to see some of you lose the excuse of, well, I've served my time. Let someone younger do it. May, may God give us more Luellas. Amen? That woman is supercharged, the energizer. I don't know what she has, but she's a lady that uh, probably would... Do you have the honor of being the one with the most years, uh, most, birth, most birthdays are pretty close in this church. And that lady I love so much, she is just not willing to sit down and say, let somebody else do it. She says, here, here at BBS, there she is helping out. May God give us more people like Luella Phipps. And so please don't make me mad by saying, well, let someone younger do it. I'm, I'm thinking of Nehemiah when he was building the wall and there were some people that didn't really do what he wanted. I, I think the Bible says he pulled their hair out. Don't make me do that to you, okay? <laughs> you know what? We might have served our time, but where does the Bible say, okay, if you've served this many years or if you're this many years old, you can quit serving? Our focus of serving changes with the passing of time but I don't believe God ever says we can retire from serving so all of that back to first Peter chapter 10 God has given us gifts from his great variety of spiritual gifts let's manage them well you use it or you lose it let's let God's generosity flow through us and when you do that God will be honored the body of Christ will be strengthened. And all things will work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So the question is, where are you going to serve? And I've instructed our ushers to lock the doors until you sign. <laughs> Not really. It needs to come from your heart. One more thing, and then I'm out of here. I know I'm late, so I'm, you're in overtime right now. You get this as a bonus without having to pay extra. This is what's on my heart, this matter of serving God. And maybe there's somebody here. I did a funeral yesterday. I'm doing a funeral today. It's just brought to mind the fact that Life is so fragile. And maybe there's somebody here today that doesn't know Jesus. You're a good person. You're obviously in church today, unless you're listening live stream or on the radio. But do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? And don't give me this thing while well, I was baptized. Do you know Jesus?
Not 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Do you know Jesus today? Today is the day. So I want to give you an opportunity, and maybe everybody knows Jesus here. But there may be somebody here that just, you've been feeling the tug in your heart. I want to give you that opportunity to seek Jesus today. Would you bow your heads first? Eyes eyes closed. Lord, I, I want to just ask you that you would be with us. Lord, be with those here that maybe don't know Jesus. God, give them the courage to take this step for you today. Today. Give boldness to do what's right. In Jesus' name, would you stand? Nobody leaving. Just be praying. Is there anybody here that would like to come forward and say, I want Jesus today. I'm not a bad person. I just know that God has been kind of tugging at my heart, and I want that assurance. Is there anybody? Anybody? Just quickly here. You want to know Jesus. Anybody say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm where I should be. I've got a few questions here. Anybody? Just pray for me. Lift your hands. Pray for me, Pastor. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for the many opportunities you've given us to follow you. Help us to be faithful to Jesus. Help us to be spiritual leaders using our gifts for your honor and glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. On your way out again, here's the verse for the week. Make sure you read it a couple times out loud every day. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.